This week we discuss cannabis clubs, online censorship, and domestic cultivation en español. A continuación en Yerba Crítica. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. Soy activista canábica y cocinera. Soy influencer en las redes sociales y estoy trabajando con el cannabis hace más de 10 años. That was Silvio Astier with Ausencia de Milonga, which is Spanish for The Absence of milonga. In case you were unaware, milonga is a musical genre that originated in the Rio de la Plata areas of Argentina and Uruguay. That's right, we're back in South America this time, and judging by the nature of this podcast, you can make the deduction that we'll be discussing cannabis from a Uruguayan perspective as opposed to an Argentine one. Nevertheless, this is an important topic in the context of cannabis, as Uruguay was the first nation in the world to legalize cannabis for recreational use, and implement a series of schemes to allow for its cultivation, commercialization, and consumption. But when it comes to South America and cannabis, Uruguay hasn't exactly been at the top of the list for various reasons, but credit to where credit is due. They are leading the way in cannabis legislation on a national level. To get a local's perspective, I reached out to Ana Laura Bucci, better known as Dr. Weed. She's an activist and Instagrammer, originally from the capital of Montevideo, but now resides in Madrid, Spain. In addition to her role as an internet influencer, she is a grower, a professional cook, and a public advocate for cultivation and cooking with cannabis, with close to 50,000 followers on Instagram. Not too shabby. She also gives cooking demonstrations and talks at various cannabis-related events, including Spanibus in Barcelona. I spoke with Anna by Skype, but with English not being her native tongue, we thought it might be a good idea to get an interpreter involved. In this case, she brought on her husband Chino, who was kind enough to do all the heavy lifting in a linguistic sense. 
even chiming in every now and then with his own views. But as a result, the format of the podcast is a little different this time. I thought we could reproduce the vibe of our Skype chat a little more naturally by letting Anna speak in Spanish and having Chino explain it in English. So first things first, how did Anna get into the wide world of cannabis? Eh, bueno, yo empecé consumiendo por un colocón, como todo el mundo o la mayoría de las personas. Eh, y cuando comencé a darme cuenta que me estaba aliviando mis temas óseos, mis enfermedades articulares, cuando me di cuenta de que, de que no tenía la rigidez que tenía habitualmente sin consumir cannabinoides, eh, dije, esto es más que un colocón. Cuando me di cuenta que el cannabis, es decir, cuando, cuando percibí en mi cuerpo eh, el cannabis medicinal, a partir de ese día dije, yo le tengo que transmitir esto a todo el mundo, eh, les tengo que contar cómo hacerlos en su casa, les tengo que contar que no hace falta comprarse todo, les quiero contar que con un poquito de tierra, una maceta y un poco de dedicación pueden tener una medicina súper potente en su casa. Y bueno, nada, hace 15 años atrás eh, puse mi primer semilla y hoy estoy aquí. Okay, so uh, basically she says that the way she started is like uh, most of the of humans in planet Earth just to get a buzz and have fun, actually. But uh, well, well, using of course uh, several times before, she started to notice uh, certain, um, let's say, certain relief in her illness that she has, uh, yeah, probably that I should have said that first. She has a illness that makes uh, her bones hurt. So um, at some point she started to feel better when she was high, that uh, she wasn't that uh, rigid in her body and everything. So she realized that uh, people should know, should be aware of what this plant can do for them. Um, regarding our, uh, several uh, pathologies that you might have, uh, like hers or maybe others, when you're in pain, and it's a good relief uh, to, to, to be a little bit better and cope with the pain. Like so many other people who use cannabis, Anna started for recreational purposes, but once she realized that she could treat the pain resulting from her degenerative disease, her eyes were open to the medical benefits, and the rest is history. I have to admit here, back in the day, when I heard people say they smoke weed because it makes them feel good or it helps them deal with glaucoma or migraines, etc., I used to think that it was a bunch of nonsense and that the benevolent gigantic pharmaceutical companies had it all covered and that we didn't need illegal substances like cannabis to help with our diseases. After all, there seems to be a pill for everything these days. Sometimes there's even a pill for things you didn't even know existed. Sometimes they'll even make stuff up to get you to buy their shit, but that's a topic for another time. But over the years, such stories of people not only feeling better, but improving their conditions as a result of cannabis just kept on coming and they wouldn't go away. And it's an amazing sensation when you realize that you do have a natural pharmacy in this one plant. So it's not surprising that Anna took this information and decided to share it with the world. However, I was curious as to what the situation in her home country looks like, as cannabis isn't the first thing that springs to mind for a Western audience, at least, when they think of Uruguay, at least until a few years ago. 
So how do they legalize on a national level and what's allowed? Bueno, eh, la legalización en Uruguay la impulsó Pepe Mujica, presidente de la República en ese momento. Eh, y, y bueno, eh, no hubo marcha atrás luego de la legalización. Eh, el organismo que se encarga eh, es el IRCA. Eh, los usuarios pueden registrarse para cultivar en sus hogares eh, o para poner un club canábico o para comprar en la farmacia. Es decir, eh, para una, para una de, la, de, la, de las tres eh, opciones. Eh, creo que eh, cada vez crece más, esto fue hace años atrás, eh, creo que cada vez va, va a avanzar, avanza más en Uruguay, hay muchos clubes, ya la movida canábica no es la misma que hace 10 años atrás eh, y creo que beneficia directamente eh, a los usuarios y a la población que utiliza el cannabis con diferentes fines, porque no importa el fin, medicinal es siempre, es lo que no entiende la gente, dicen eh, el CBD, el THC, no, no, los la planta trae todo el conjunto de cannabinoides, por lo tanto... Eh, para mí eso de separar el lúdico y el medicinal siempre va a ser medicinal, por más que sea lúdico. Well, what she said is that uh, the legalization was, uh, let's say, promoted by former president of Uruguay, Jose Mujica, a.k.a. Pepe. There was uh, some back and forth, usually in the terms of the legalization. So they came up to, with the idea of creating like uh, an organism that will set the ground rules for home growing and also for uh, big companies like to grow in big uh, areas and, and be able to fulfill the needs of the local market regarding uh, the marijuana. Nevertheless, she says that there are good things, but uh, from her point of view, it's not like you can separate medical marijuana from recreational, because medical, it's in, in all the cases, even though you're using it with a recreational, um, let's say, goal. Uh, it's going to be medical as well, because it's uh, built into the plant. So that's that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a win-win situation for the consumers, even though the percentage of THC in the wheat that you can get in the pharmacies is not like high enough, like Let's say, like, if you go to a, to a club and you pick up some there, I mean, it's going to be different, of course, but it's way more affordable and you have it available in several spots in the city that you can go and get it without any kind of issues. De todas mm -hmm. maneras, eh, creo que tendrían que eh, como que redireccionar más la atención al autocultivo, como que... Apoyar más a los usuarios en este sentido. Eh, si bien todo esto se hace con un fin económico, porque eh, los, los políticos no, no ven por el cultivador y legalizan pensando, ay, vamos a legalizar para que el cultivador cultive tranquilo. No, piensan en el dinero que van a ganar eh, en cuanto se legalice y puedan eh, hacer todos los productos de cannabis que se te puedan ocurrir. Nada, eso. Eh, yo trato de impulsar a la gente 
a que plante más que a que compre. All right, so basically what she's uh, saying now is that there's always uh, business behind everything and money is what makes the world go round and round. So uh, it's impossible to, to leave it out of the equation because it has a, like a main role in, in all of this, uh, let's say, uh, process. So they are, uh, when I say they, I mean like the government and the stakeholders that actually promote uh, these kind of things, that they are focusing in several cannabis-related products like soaps or, uh, I don't know, lotions, any kind of stuff that you can come up with. Uh, with THC or CBD and so on in order to make the big bucks. But her approach, it's more like a do-it-yourself kind of thing uh, with some tips uh, in which you can create like your own soil and put the nutrients and everything on it from uh, a, a more homemade kind of approach. And, and, and basically for the people not to go and get the final product, but to complete like the full cycle of uh, putting the seed into the soil and wait until the, the flowers blossom and all that. So with the government encouraging cannabis consumption, the next question would be whether they have things like pharmacies and dispensaries, or does the situation resemble that of Spain with its cannabis social clubs? Uh, yes, there are both uh, things. Obviously, clubs, they do charge a higher fee because they have... Um, well, I guess better product, at least uh, one that actually um, works. And you can feel more uh, intense effects uh, either in your body and in your mind. But, um, you know, it's cheaper to get it on the pharmacy, but you're going to get a lower quality product than if you go to a club in which you got, you have to enroll first pay like, uh, I don't know, half a month or something like that in advance. And then each month you have to make payments in order to get like your stash. There are certain limits that were uh, set up uh, from the beginning. For instance, uh, in a household, you can just have like uh, six plants. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, regardless of the number of people in the house. So that's kind of weird. Let's say we are three potheads living under the same roof. Uh, we would be entitled legally to have just six plants for the three of us. Uh, but if you live alone, you can have six as well. So that's kind of uh, not very fair. Um, and there are certain things that are not really on point. But um, yeah, man, it's a win-win situation. Either approach. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not comparable because the audience that consumes each one of those is different. With all that being said, here's a quick summary of the legalization timeline in Uruguay. In December of 2013, President José Mujica signed legislation to legalize recreational cannabis. That following August, the government legalized home cultivation and the formation of growing clubs, a state-controlled dispensary regime, and the creation of a cannabis regulatory institute, or IRCA, as the locals refer to it. In October of 2014, the government began to register growers' clubs, allowing growers to cultivate up to 99 plants annually, and in 2017, 16 pharmacies were authorized to sell cannabis commercially. Uruguay also has legal same-sex marriage and abortion, so no wonder the country is regarded as one of the most socially advanced in Latin America, much to the chagrin of social and religious conservatives. So in the Oriental Republic of Uruguay, the authorities agreed on a three-pronged approach to cannabis, which, in my opinion, 
is one of the most progressive, forward-thinking setups among places where cannabis is legal. Like Spain, which has cannabis social clubs throughout the country, consumers in Uruguay can join a club where they know the source of their cannabis and can rely on local growers for their supply. Like the West Coast and a few other parts of the United States, Uruguayans can also purchase their cannabis in state-licensed dispensaries and or pharmacies, and like California, patients are allowed to grow their own plants. The biggest advantage Uruguayans have over these other places is that the government has made it relatively easy for patients to get what they need, allowing them to choose between clubs, pharmacies, and home growing, something that is not necessarily allowed in most other countries. Granted, Uruguay's population is around 3.5 million, which makes it much easier to manage, but nevertheless, a patient-first approach is visible here and is definitely worth considering when coming up with a regulatory scheme. The six-plant-per-household rule might indeed be worthy of criticism, as Chino explained, but compared to places where home growing is illegal and the only source of cannabis is through state-run or corporate entities, this is by far a much better option, especially for patients. Another aspect of legalization in Uruguay that I was curious about was how exactly it came about. Obviously, there's a cannabis culture that is present and active, but was this an initiative from the bottom up, or was it top to bottom? A ver, eh, yo creo que José Mujica es muy inteligente y vio año a año cómo crecía estos pedidos por la legalización, por el autocultivo, por nuestros derechos, y empezó a sumar y le dieron los números. Le dieron los números y dijo, a ver, hay un montón de gente atrás igual, que yo por suerte no conozco eh, muy bien a toda esa gente, yo estoy más eh, como del lado popular, eh, a mí me gusta enseñar y, y sin pedir nada a cambio, trato de colaborar, ayudar al que puedo. Eh, está bien, hay personas que no pueden cultivar o que no quieren o que no, no les sale, pero la idea mía siempre es la misma, alentar a la gente que cultive, alentar a la gente que cultive, no a que le sigan dando negocio, porque si le das negocio a uno y cambias para darle negocio al otro, seguimos en lo mismo, en el negocio. Y la idea es que todo el mundo puede tener su planta de cannabis en su casa, como tiene una tomatera. It's actually hard to separate both movements, the one that is uh, from the from the bottom up and from from top to bottom. So it's uh, actually like everything, like a mix of both in which, let's say, the topper part, they saw the opportunity, they saw that people were moving like, not like in a national context, but around the world uh, to like claim uh, their rights to be entitled to do whatever <laughs> you want in, in those regards, just uh, in that context. But uh, yeah, I mean, she's she's not very into that political area. She's more into the, let's say, social kind of things, trying to over social media uh, to create awareness that this is something that you can do with very little yourself at home, following some cool tips that she shares uh, for everyone to, to be able to use them. So according to Anna, President Mujica was shown the numbers that the legalization movement was putting forward and seems to have seized the opportunity to do something for his fellow citizens. If anything, the legalization movement is a testament to the power of organizing and pressuring elected officials. 
But just like any other country, cannabis and cannabis culture has its opponents in Uruguay as well. What were some of the obstacles that Ana ran into, and was stigma also an issue? Sí, a ver, eh, yo entiendo que hay algunas personas que optan por esconderse, mostrar escondiéndose, o, o transformarse a la hora de ir a buscar a sus hijos al colegio, por ejemplo, por lo que puedan llegar a decir. Eh, pero la gente se olvida que el cannabis es una planta. Eh, la, los medios de comunicación han sembrado eh, tanta negatividad, incertidumbre, eh, mala información, eh, tabúes, eh, actos discriminatorios hacia la planta, no sé, eh, que mm, han hecho que las personas crean que de, de, lo dejan de ver como una planta. Es como que, ¡ah, esa es droga! Y, pero no piensan que eso viene de la tierra, no, 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 no recaen. Eh, creo que hoy por hoy, como eh, gracias a, las, a los medios de comunicación, a las redes sociales, hoy la gente tiene también la otra campana eh, de la información y no solo lo que le dice la televisión. Eh, hay ya muchos casos... Eh, contra la información no se puede, hay gente que se está beneficiando hace mucho tiempo con esta planta, que tiene resultados positivos, eso ya no se puede ocultar, los médicos ya no pueden eh, obviar eh, los beneficios, ni pueden seguir mirando eh, de forma rara a una persona que va, por ejemplo yo fui a la reumatóloga y me preguntó, ¿qué, anti, qué antiinflamatorios toma? No, uso cannabinoides. Y ya me miró extraño, ¿viste? Digo, no, mirá, eh, sufrí de úlceras gastrodenales cuando era eh, muy chica, pasé gran parte de años de, de mi adolescencia, infancia, vomitando, no, no tolero nada, y con esta planta encontré eh, una mejor calidad de vida. Entonces... Eh, lo que puedan opinar, lo que puedan pensar, lo que puedan decir, es como que estoy tan convencida de lo que me hace que ya lo que me puedan decir es como que, ¿viste? Eh, bueno, nada, eso es como que... First of all, media, it played a key role both in, uh, let's say, stigmatizing with Uh, you know, like the famous billboard, like Don't Gamble with Marijuana <laughs> uh -huh. and all that. So, uh, but also lately that has changed like in 180 degrees because media is more likely today to share, uh, let's say, information or knowledge about the benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids. Uh, studies, research, a lot of uh, scientific information uh, speaking Uh, let's say good things about it and all the benefits it has, uh, but uh, there was some some bad work uh, done back in the days, so we have to recover from that. Eventually, it was not the media, just the people using the media to uh, have certain effect in, in the society. But in any case, regarding sti stigmatization, she doesn't give a shit. <laughs> she doesn't mm -hmm. care, basically. 
but she uh, she mentioned a, an example in which she suffered from that when going to the doctor. The doctor asked, are you, are you taking some sort of pills, anything uh, to relieve you from your pain? And she says, I use cannabinoids and whoa, uh, her face changed and you can see the judging in her eyes. Yeah, of course. So that's uh, kind of not cool. There's a lot of work to be done yet, but in the last few years, it has changed quite drastically uh, in favor of uh, mm. recreational and free use of weed. It must be a huge relief for the people of Uruguay to see public opinion on cannabis change so quickly, and to have the government on your side is even sweeter. However, this is not to say that the fight is over. With the bulk of her audience being spread all over the world, Anna still has to deal with being banned by the overlords of social media, much like many other activists and content creators throughout the globe, though not necessarily in the way you might expect. No, ¿sabes lo que pasa? A mí, me, a mí me denuncian mucho en Instagram, me denuncian, oh. me denuncian la envidia, la envidia, eh, es mucha la envidia, y la, no sé, competencia no, porque yo no vendo nada, pero igual, viste, es como que mostrás un rosin y ya van y te lo denuncian, mostrás una planta que está divina y ya van y te la denuncian, eh, a mí Facebook jamás tuve un problema con Facebook, jamás, jamás. Sí con Instagram, por los haters que me reportan sin parar hace ocho meses o nueve meses y me estuvieron cerrando la cuenta dos veces al mes, me enloquecí. First of all, she never experienced any sort of censorship from Facebook at all. Uh, but on Instagram, as I was saying to you uh, previously, she She got her account uh, banned and we have to recover it like how many times, like four or five times. But mm -hmm. those reports were, were not actually Instagram censorship, but other people's uh, hate and reports of her stories, her content, uh, even though she doesn't sell anything because it's just basically information, how to do things, uh, do it yourself kind of approach. Uh, but in any case, she experienced a lot of censorship, a lot of issues from other users reporting her account, not actually from the platform itself. So to be fair, neither Instagram nor Facebook have applied any sort of censorship on her profile or her pictures or her, her content. But uh, yes, it was the case on Instagram based on people hate and haters. They hate her because they ain't her. For whatever reason those users reported Anna, it's clear that she still has to deal with censorship and take flack for doing what she does. But her followers keep growing, and there are no signs she's going away anytime soon. Any final words of advice to those considering getting into the cannabis business? Que tienen que leer. Les diría que se introduzcan mínimamente eh, al mundo del cannabis, que lean una guía básica. Eh, que piensen para qué quieren usarlo antes de usarlo, eh, que piensen en, eh, siempre en el consumo amigable, está todo bien con el porro, fumamos el porro, todo bien, pero está bueno que los jóvenes sepan que el cannabis no solo se fuma, que hay muchas maneras de consumo amigables para el organismo y esa es una de las cosas que quiero impulsar este año, ya que yo también me pasé a, 
a la parte del DAVE, a la parte sana del consumo de cannabis? Usually a, a common mistake of uh, young people or rookies uh, in the cannabis world is that they do not plan what to do beforehand. So, uh, for instance, they get the seed and then it's like, okay, okay, I got the seed. What do I do now? And, and, and you know, it, it, they lack planning. So, first of all, the idea is what am I going to use it for? Okay. So, uh, that's the first question they need to ask themselves. Then after that, uh, how does it work? I mean, not become an expert in, in, in theory and then jump into the practice. It's not like that. It's uh, just having the correct balance, at least the main principles on how things go, what you need to do, uh, the FAQs, I don't know, do's and don'ts, you know, right or wrongs, uh, in order to avoid making rookie mistakes, because actually, uh, I don't know, seeds, they cost money and uh, you lose time. And that, I mean, there's no money to buy your time. So you're not, you're not getting that back. So uh, plan ahead see what you're going to use it for, see how it goes, at least from a macro perspective, even though you might have questions along the way. And then also that smoking is not the only uh, way of uh, consuming, but you can like do edibles, you can use uh, oils, uh, creams. And since she lately convert to a dabber, uh, she's really promoting that uh, as it is harmless to your lungs and all that you know so um basically that was the her answer to well we have to end there unfortunately but if you are interested in seeing and or hearing more from dr weed you can find her on instagram under dra space weed or on twitter at k-y-l-o-v-o-n-e many many thanks to her husband chino for doing a fine job as interpreter Feel free to share or comment this episode on Instagram or other social media. Just don't be a hater. As always, my name is Bogdan. You'll hear from me again soon. Hasta luego, compañeras y compañeros.